You ready for all things to be made new today? Amen, amen, amen. I'm so excited because I've been praying and I know God is going to mess some people up in a good way today. His Holy Spirit is, I just feel him all over us today. So thank, thank you for being here. Oh man, Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means we have an opportunity for a second chance. Anybody in here at a time in their life, maybe now, need a second chance? Yeah. Yeah, there's not a perfect person here in this place. You see, when sin entered into the world, the Bible tells us in Romans 5.12 that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the very first rebellion or disobedience in human history, this curse called sin spread to everyone. So none of us are without sin. We all have this inherent brokenness, which is why maybe uh, you're like me, and sometimes you just wake up in the morning, you've got, you know, death breath first thing in the morning, and you're you're getting ready to brush your teeth, you're staring at an uncombed hairdo, you realize you really should have showered the night before, and the the bathroom is calling your name, you know, the, the, the soap is calling your name. You look in the mirror, and you think, you know, man, I need something. Something's not right. I, I need God. I need, I need a work in my heart. Because there's, when you look at your failures, when you th- look at your inadequacies, when you look at all your mistakes, it's so easy to become overwhelmed with discouragement and realize how messed up you really are. And when you realize that, you realize that you need something outside of yourself, greater than yourself, to come and rescue you. In Romans 5.12, it says, sin cursed everyone. Everyone is born a sinner. We're all messed up. And that sin separates us from the relationship with God, the very thing that God designed to bring us hope, joy, fulfillment, to give us a reason for living and meaning. But when sin entered, we became doomed to live in eternity from the time we're born to the time where we die and then beyond this life, separated from God. It was, it was the most uh, difficult, the most powerful act of discouragement, of pain that we could experience. But yet, that's not where the story ends. The story doesn't end with sin. The most beautiful, matter of fact, the four most beautiful words ever written are found in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved. The four most beautiful words ever written, for God so loved, because it was the love of God for his children who he lost through sin that sent Jesus. It was the love of God that motivated and empowered Jesus to minister among us, to give his life. It was the love of God on display in the cross. It was the love of God that saturated every drop of his blood. It was the love of God that said, Son, it's time to get up. And the glory of God filled the tomb and rose Jesus from the dead. And it's the love of God that makes this invitation. You see, the rest of John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The cross and the resurrection is the greatest second chance you'll ever receive in your entire life. You see, if that's all God did, if all God ever did was give us Jesus and a chance to 
be forgiven of our sins so that we can escape hell, that would be enough. I would take that. I don't know about you, but, but I would take that to know that I don't have to fear the life after death, that, that, that hell is removed from me. If that's all God did and he just stayed at a distance for the rest of my life, I would be satisfied with that. That's enough to celebrate, to know I'm not going to hell. That's a good thought. Amen? Amen. To, to, to know this because of what Jesus did. But you know what? Our God is not just God. He's Father. And he's a good Father. See, some of you haven't had a good father. You don't know that what a good father does is he does things for his kids. Why? Because he loves them. Our God, our heavenly father, he loves us and he gives us good things. The word of God says every good thing we have is a gift from our father. That, that break at your job, that, that, that health scare that was resolved, all good things come from our Heavenly Father. He's not just content with giving us salvation. He's continually blessing us and giving us abundance, giving us good things. God is a good Father. He's a generous Father. He's not solely just interested in a second chance to avoid hell. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said something very specific. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You see, beginning a relationship with Jesus is just the beginning. God wants to take you on a journey that ends in a rich and satisfying life. Is your life rich and satisfying? God desires to pour out his blessings. Jesus not only wants to save your soul, but in Isaiah 53, it says, every lash he took on the cross, every beating he endured, by his stripes we have been given the right, the inheritance as his children to not only have our sins forgiven and to have our griefs uh, healed, but to have even our physical bodies restored, that everything he went through was to restore our lives from the curse and the curses that have been unleashed through sin to be restored to what he designed at the very foundation of the earth, an abundant, perfect life. He wants to breathe new life into every area of brokenness and bring healing to your wounded soul. Many of us have walked in here today and we have deep wounds in our soul. Wounds from maybe your relationship with your parents. Wounds from maybe a spouse that was unfaithful. Wounds from maybe friends that bullied you at school. We all have wounds and God today wants to reach inside that dark place you've been hiding and nursing those wounds and he wants to bring healing to your life. He wants to free you of that pain. He wants to deliver you of everything that's keeping you from living that abundant life. The very thing that's encouraging maybe cycles of dysfunction in your life. We're not gonna be long today, but today we're, we're gonna look at a guy named Saul, who exemplifies the power of Jesus' resurrection to change a life, to bring a second chance. This guy named Saul is one of the greatest evidences for the truth of the word of God. You might be here today and you might even be a skeptic. You don't even know if God's word is true. You, maybe you just came to oblige somebody that you really care about and you're here, yeah, let's get this thing through because we got something later that we wanna get to. That might be you here today. 
But let me tell you, even if, if you were to do any kind of research, you'll find that one of the greatest arguments to prove the Bible true is the life of Saul. And we're getting ready to see what it is. Theologians and skeptics have been arguing about Saul for, for generations. And, and so we're going to kind of pick apart this guy's life a little bit. This guy named Saul, he was a bad dude. I'm talking a bad dude. He was a bad dude, but he thought he was a good guy. A bad dude who thought he was a good guy. In this context, uh, Jesus, uh, in the story we're going to read, Jesus has risen to heaven. Uh, he sent his disciples to Jerusalem. He told them to wait there till the Holy Spirit would come. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. He fills them with power, kind of disrupts the city. 3,000 new believers are converted in one single day. And from that point, day after day, believer after believer after believer is being added because of the power of God and the love of God on display in this church. It's, it's a, a revival. It's an explosion of faith unlike we've ever seen. One of the most miraculous things that's happened, men and women who were fearing for their life because of following this Jesus guy end up becoming the dominating faith in just a matter of months. It's, it's amazing in just this little town. And so as this is spreading, as the, the, even before Christians were called Christians, they called them the way because there was this way about them. They just loved people and God did miracles. That's pretty cool, you know. And so they called them the way. And the way was becoming of a greater influence. And the men who had power, religious power during this time, were taking notice of how all these people were leaving their, their faith, their denominations, their, their power organizations, and following this new way. And they were losing influence. And they didn't really like that. They didn't think that that was such a great thing. And one day, this guy named Stephen is preaching. He's preaching the gospel, telling about Jesus and all the wonderful things that he did. And these religious leaders start an argument with him. And they decide the only way to win this argument, we'll just kill the guy. And so they take him and they stone him to death. And Stephen is the first martyr for the Christian faith. And there was a guy there holding the coats of the men that killed him named Saul. And Saul was inspired by this event. He was inspired not to become a Christian. He was inspired, hey, the way to get power back, the way to reestablish our ways as the dominating way, the right way to honor God is, yeah, let's keep this going. And so he began going around killing Christians, murdering them. In Acts chapter 9, in verses 1 and 2, here's what the Word of God says. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Think about that. With every breath, which means the only thing this guy had on his mind was murder. Murder. That's it. I'm going to kill anyone that says Jesus is Lord. He wanted him dead. Every breath. He was eager to kill these guys. He would be equal to what we would call an Islamic terrorist today. You go over to the Middle East, and just by being a Christian, by being a woman, not wearing their, their dress, you could literally die in the city square because you don't fit the mold in some of these nations. This is Saul. He's a bad dude who thought he was a good guy. He wanted to kill every Christian he could find. So he goes to the high priest. Verse 2, it says, He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the the rest of any followers of the way he found there. 
He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. He gets them to Jerusalem. He can kill them. That's all he wanted to do. He was a bad, bad man, mean to the core. But the thing that strikes me is the motivation behind what he was doing. He was convinced that what he was doing was right. In his religion and his way of life, the very religion that Jesus was born into, they believed that blasphemers should die, those that would blaspheme the truth of God or what they knew in their, the Old Testament. And so he really thought he was justified. Matter of fact, if you had a conversation with him, he would tell you he was more righteous than anyone else because of the way he followed the law flawlessly. And the thing is, is I'm looking at Saul, and I'm kind of just wrapping my mind around maybe the mentality that this guy had. I started to think, but you know, as, as wicked as he was, many of us are in the same boat. I mean, we may not be murderers, but we think we're pretty good people, even though sometimes we do some bad things. I mean, I don't think there are any murderers in here. If you are, just raise your hand so I can go make a phone call real quick. No? No no takers? Good. We're going to be safe. But, but think about this. He was motivated by this idea that what he was doing was the right thing, but yet he was doing very evil things. And I would think, and when you have conversations with people, especially about faith and about life, what they normally say and what you would probably say about yourself is that you're a good person at heart. That, that you have good intentions, that, that you're not an evil or a bad person, that you try to do what is right most of the time. We would agree that we're not perfect, but we're probably very well intentioned. But that is exactly what Saul believed. He thought he was right. He thought he was good. See, much of the trouble that we experience in our lives is not because we're not good intentioned or well intentioned. It often comes because we have believed the lies of the thief. Jesus said there's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's our enemy. It's the devil who has sown lies into our culture, into our world, and we have believed them. So in the process of believing these lies, it has caused us to maybe act and do some things that weren't in our best interest, that would cause us pain and maybe pain in other people's lives, even when we thought it felt good or maybe was good in the moment. We've believed lies that cause trouble in our experience. It often, again, brings dysfunction and causes pain. We feel like we're all good in the moment, but the reality and the, the consequences of those decisions are not good. See, at our hearts, we're still sinners. We still live under this curse that was unleashed into the world. And though we may not be as bad as somebody else, when you compare yourself to the perfection of God, when you compare yourself to the standard of Jesus, the equation changes. See, Romans 3.23 says all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Jesus himself said there's no one good but God. So when we sit back and we say, no, I'm a good person, we're even speaking our own deception because according to God's word, the fact that we're sinners, there's no one that is good. There's none righteous but God. 
There's a spiritual blindness that comes over us. And Saul, he was doomed to his course of life. He was doomed to the end result of his wicked ways, which would have been eternal judgment if he died in this state. He was so entrenched in what he believed. If it was not for a singular event that took place in his life, this man would have died in his wickedness, and he would die to enter into judgment. And the one event that happened in Saul's life is he encountered the risen Lord. He encountered Jesus. And in a moment, his life is completely transformed. You see, Jesus' death doesn't just provide forgiveness of sins. His resurrection provides the opportunity for a second chance. And Jesus shows up in Paul and Saul's life and he radically flips his life upside down. He opens his eyes to the truth of what he was doing and that realization uh, caused him to second or think again about decisions he was making and the way and the direction his life was moving. Saul had this massive and powerful counter with Jesus Christ. And the thing about Saul is in this moment, this one instance, he goes from being a man paid to kill Christians to being the greatest church missionary the world has ever seen. In an instant, one encounter with the risen Lord, he goes on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. He encounters Jesus and becomes the world's greatest missionary. And this is why skeptics hate Saul, because they can't understand how a man who was paid to kill believers, was killing Christians, could then turn around and be the best and strongest advocate for the faith he was trying to destroy. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. No one would do that. Unless it's true. Acts chapter 9, 3 through 19 is the story of his conversion. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Then with Saul, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, and as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Such a powerful moment. Such a powerful encounter that Saul had that transformed his life. The first thing I see in this passage of Scripture, number one, is that Saul just didn't get stricken with physical blindness, but the reality was as he was already spiritually blind. 
And this encounter with Jesus helped him to see how blind he really had been, to help him see what he had been doing and really what his life was bringing him to in this moment and maybe even the end destination if he kept following the same path that he was going. Saul was trying so hard to serve the one he was actually working so hard to destroy. I mean, think about the craziness of that. Saul was convinced he was honoring God, but the very things he was doing was working against the one he was trying to honor. And many of our decisions are like that when we just try to be a good person and we don't do things the way God has set forth for us in his word. We might think we're doing right by God, but actually be working against the purposes and plans that he has in our lives. The reality for us today is that Jesus wants to reveal in your life some of the very things you are desperately trying to pursue that are actually working against his purposes and plans for your life, plans to bring you into the abundant, overflowing life. Jesus wants to give you a revelation of himself today so that you realize that the person or thing that has been hurting you is not what you need. He is actually what you need. He is all you need. The second thing I see here is that while Saul became aware of his blindness, he actually began to desperately seek the Lord. Look in Acts chapter 9, verse 11. It says, The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. Think about the miraculous situation that's happening. He's going to Damascus to kill Christians. He encounters Jesus and begins praying to the one he was trying to wipe out the memory of. This is a radical turn of events. The very person he was trying to destroy, he's now praying to, pleading to. The one he was running from is now the one he is running to. This is a very powerful moment. This encounter with Jesus gave him an awakening of what his true need was. And Jesus sent Ananias to pray for him. And when the prayer was prayed, Saul receives his sight, not just physical sight, but true spiritual sight. He was filled with the power of his Holy Spirit, and the life of Saul was forever changed. I believe that God has led you here to this place today to hear this word, that he's ready to open your eyes. He's ready to touch your life to turn your life upside down. He's ready to open your eyes to the purposes and plans that he has for you, to place his Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life, to empower you to accomplish those good purposes and plans, to remove your blindness and to help you see even for the very first time. God's ready to do a work in your life. Saul opened his eyes and awoke to a new calling, a new purpose, a new hope, and an everlasting joy. And Jesus wants the same for you today. He's filled with his Holy Spirit and had the power to walk away from that moment into the new man God had created him to be. And the power of God was such on him that miracles flowed. They abounded in Saul's ministry when he turned his life over to Jesus. Saul got the second chance of a lifetime. How many of us need a second chance? We saw the hands earlier. Maybe you need a second chance with your relationship with God. Maybe when you were a kid, you went to some church function and you prayed a prayer one time. And so you just always called yourself a Christian. But you can look at your life now and say, I am nowhere near 
in a place where I would say I have a relationship with God. Maybe you need a second chance in your marriage. It's struggling. It's on the verge. And you need God to desperately come in and do a work in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling in your friendships. Maybe you've made some decisions in your life or something happened to you when you were a child and you've not been able to get over the pain of that situation and that that pain has been guiding some decisions that have even added more pain and struggle to your life. And, and you're like, I, don't, I can't keep going on like this. And you need a second chance. You need God to do a work in your life. God has sent you here today to receive that second chance. The third thing I see is that Jesus delivered Saul of his reputation. This is what stops many of us from making a decision to follow Christ and to begin a relationship with God because we look back at our lives and we think, how could God love me? For all the things that I've done, how could he love me? Or maybe some of the things that you've done has created a reputation and, and you think, you know, I don't think I'm worth anything. What will people think? I mean, people know what I've done. You know, I've made so many mistakes in my life. How could God ever use me when I have this past that's just following me everywhere I go, even if it's just in your own mind? There's something that is in the way. I mean, here in the story, Jesus appears to Ananias. I mean, I would think if Jesus appeared to me and said, go over here to pray, there wouldn't be much room for argument, Right? I mean, if think, put yourself in the story. God opens the window of heaven, comes down into your room in the middle of the night, says, hey, wake up. I need you to go do something. I think it's like, okay, let's go. Let's go do this, you, you know. But that's not what happened. Ananias starts arguing, be like, God, do you know who this guy is? I mean, did you get the Rolodex out of whack? I mean, what, what's going on? I mean, did, did your iPhone malfunction? This is Saul we're talking about. And Jesus is like, I know. I've chosen him. Do you know that God's chosen you? He's chosen you for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God's chosen you before he laid the foundation of the world to transform your life, to bring abundance for his glory to so flow through you that you radiate the beauty of heaven in every step that you take, in every room you walk into. God wants to reveal himself to a lost and broken world. God's ready to flip the coin and to replace depression with joy, sadness with rejoicing, anger with peace. God wants to do a work in your life. He's chosen you. He's chosen you. And here Ananias is sent to Saul just like we've been sent to you. And you've come to hear this message that God has been priming you for to get ready to receive your second chance. It doesn't matter how old you are. God's in the business of working miracles. There's a story in the Bible, Abraham and Sarah, they were barren till they were 90-some years old. They gave up the idea of having kids. They gave up on their, their hopes for children. And God comes to Abraham, and with one encounter, they have a child. If God didn't give up on some 90-year-old crusty dude, he's not going to give up on you. If you still have breath, you still have a purpose. If you still have life, you still have moments for God to use for his glory. Saul called on Jesus. He received his sight, was dramatically changed. You see, Saul had religion, but he had no relationship, which is why his priorities were turned upside down. 
It's not about the church you go to. It's not about how many times you've prayed any certain prayers. It doesn't matter about how many beads are on your necklace. It doesn't matter what you do in your life. What matters is does God know you and do you know God? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Religion doesn't save relationship saves and with relationship Saul was radically transformed and this relationship broke him free of his religion and his reason for living now was not his religion it was a person Jesus Christ he wasn't motivated by the laws of man he was motivated by the power of true love love that covers a multitude of sins Saul was so radically changed he began going by a new name and the name was Paul the apostle who wrote a third of the New Testament started the majority of churches in the, in the New Testament and radically transformed the world as we know it. He was actually known as a man who turned cities upside down. Why? Because he was so in love with Jesus and God worked in him in such a powerful way that he was able to uh, just have a dramatic impact for the world. And I believe here that God is ready to change some of your labels here today too. You've gone under some names of discouragement, some names that you've been carrying, whether it's through circumstances, maybe somebody in your life has been super critical. And so the names you go by in your mind and in your heart is not good enough, worthless, not capable, not lovable. There are, there are some names and some labels that you've been holding on to in your life that have kind of gotten in the way uh, of you taking a step towards your dreams, your visions, your hopes for the future. And these names that, that have come have come from the enemy to bring discouragement, to stifle our faith. But Jesus wants to give you a new name today. He wants to transform your name. He wants to change you from worthless to I died for you. He wants to change your, you're not good enough to you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. He's ready to change your name. In Saul's case, it was from scary to safe. Some of you might have a scary past like Saul. But you know what? If God can turn a murderer who was scary that people fled from to a man people flocked to, imagine what he could do with you if you gave him your heart and your life. You see, the interesting thing about Saul's name is the name Saul meant, means prayed for. He was prayed for. In the Jewish culture, they would name you according to a circumstance or maybe something they were believing for in the future. And Saul's name meant prayed for. And I can imagine there are probably a lot of Christians praying for Saul. And their prayer probably went like this. God, save him or take him out. Because we can't keep going like this. And you know the word of God says Jesus prays for us. He prays for all of his children. He stands before the throne of God interceding on your behalf and when the accuser, the devil, brings up your name, starts bringing up your past and every mistake and every flaw, Jesus steps in and says, uh-uh, they're mine. And he silences the voice of the accuser. If you belong to Jesus, you have the Son of God on your side advocating on your behalf before the throne of God. Saul receives a new name from Saul to Paul. Paul means humble humble. He records in his letters that uh, if he 
anyone had reason to boast, it was him. He was flawless in his religiosity. He was flawless in how he, he uh, followed the law. He was trained by the most wise teachers. He was a Roman by birth, which was uh, worthy to be uh, boastful and proud of. He had all these reasons in man's eyes to boast. But his name changes from Saul, in which he could boast in and of himself, to Paul, which means humble. It means humble. And I believe God humbled him not to humiliate him, but he humbled him to raise him up. See, Paul had to come to terms with the true condition of his heart. He was lost. He was a sinner. He was on the wrong path, even when he was convinced it was the right one. And when he finally gave Jesus his life and his heart, he received true humility. And what God did with his life was a miracle. See, God's in the business to restore. He wants to restore marriages. He wants to restore your calling. Some of you, when you were a young age, you knew God was calling you to do something. He put a birth, a dream in your heart, and something happened that, that took you off course. And you've kind of given up on that dream because you, you thought, oh, it's too late now. But God wants to restore your dream. Because in Romans, it says the giftings and callings of God are without repentance. God doesn't take back what he births. And when he births that in your heart, he does it for a purpose. He wants to raise you back up to pursue that calling. He wants to restore your hopes and your dreams. He wants to overturn addiction and restore your health. He wants to restore peace to your weary heart. God wants to bring restoration into your life because he wants to lead you to the abundant life that Jesus gave his life on the cross for. And the amazing thing about our good God is when he restores, he always does bigger and better. He always does bigger and better. All through the New Testament, when something's been broken down, God restores it bigger. When the tabernacle or the temple was destroyed and it was rebuilt, it was increased in size. God always restores to bigger and better. And you might say, well, you know, God's been working in my life and my life's not what it was before this event happened in my life. And I would say, no, it won't be. It won't be the same. But if you give God your life, if you trust him and you follow him, you'll be amazed to see what he does out of your brokenness. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for your good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God's gonna take your mess and he's gonna turn it into a miracle. And you will not uh, just, I'm just telling you, if you give God your life, he's gonna do something amazing with it. He wants to unlock your potential that he put in you in your creation. So the reality for us is that trusting in Jesus Christ is not an overnight fix. Some of us go to God and expect the miracle to happen and everything to be good. It's not an overnight fix, and it wasn't for Paul either. The encounter he had with Jesus was just the beginning of the process of restoration. To build something up, it takes time. It's a journey of discovering the fulfillment of the promises God has spoken over you as you develop your relationship with God and intimacy with him. You see, Paul was keenly aware of his past. Just because you have your sins are forgiven doesn't mean you forget your past. Just because you have a relationship with God doesn't mean you forget your past. Look at 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16, as Paul writes to his protege. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who's given me the strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And what's he say there? I am the worst 
of them all. When Paul realized what he was doing, he realized the depth of darkness that was in his heart and the sins that he was committing. Here on the other side of that, he looks back and says, you know, if you want to compare pasts, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. You don't get much worse than me, is what Paul is saying. But, and, he, but, and I take this as an encouraging thing because in verse 16, look what he says. He said, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. If Paul is the worst, that means you got a shot. If Paul's the worst, that means you have a second chance awaiting with you. God, if God can turn Paul's life upside down, imagine what he could do with you. Imagine. Imagine what good he wants to do with you and do in you. God chose Paul so that through his life, you could see the power or what the power of the resurrection could do in your life. And to see what is available for you if you simply believe. God wants to take you from where you are and transform you into who he created you to be. The past that was meant to harm you, Jesus is going to use to heal you as he helps you find your second chance. And of all the people we could look at, of all the promises that we could study, Saul, who was the worst of sinners, now Paul, because of what Jesus did in him, is also able to say today is one of the most powerful missionaries the world has ever seen. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are what, church? Become new. Let's read that together. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Some things? No, all things. If you're in Christ, you have a second chance. You have the power to overcome the all things. And you're your hope for the future. Everything that, that God is bringing you into this place today is to lead you into that hope. Do you want God to bring you a second chance today? Do you want to have an encounter with Jesus Christ today that's going to change your life? Then it's time to respond to his invitation. And his invitation is this, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus. Let's all bow our heads and let's close our eyes as we go into a time of response and a time of prayer. There are many hands that went up today that said, I need a second chance. And Jesus is offering you that chance in this moment and in this place. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Joey? I thought I've lived a pretty good life. I've done the best that I can to be a good person. But the Spirit of God is speaking to my heart. And I realize that the one thing I don't have is a relationship with Jesus. I don't know that if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. And I'd like to take him up on his offer to receive a second chance. Pastor Joey, I want to know that I know that I have a relationship with Jesus. 
If that's you here today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, in the quietness of this moment, if you want a second chance today, you want to give God the opportunity to transform your life, you want to begin a relationship with the Lord, I just ask you to slip your hand up. With the uplifted hand, you're saying, Pastor Joey, that's me. No one looking around. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands everywhere. Thank you. I need a second chance. Praise God. We prayed for this moment. Right now, God's going to touch you. He's going to do a work in your life. Father, you saw the hands. You saw the hands. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would touch them now. And you'd fill them with faith to take that next step. The step that is going to radically transform them in the name of Jesus. If you raised your hand, I want you to look right here at me. The most hardest, the most difficult thing to do is take the first step of faith. But if you are serious and you're ready for a second chance, on the count of three, I want you to stand your feet and I want you to meet me down here and we're going to pray together. And God's going to radically transform you. If you're serious and you're ready for God to do this work, on the count of three, you stand to your feet and make your way down here. One, two, three. Stand to your feet. Come on. All around the room. If you're ready. If you're ready. Amen. Let's encourage them, church. Come on. Come on. Don't wait. Don't sit. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. Years, man. Years. Years. All right, guys. Jesus said you just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. This is your moment. Let's pray together. Say, Father, thank you for your love, your grace, and your second chance. Right now, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. Jesus today is my Lord, now and forever. Fill me with your spirit and empower me now to live for you, to be who you created me to be. I worship you now and forever. Amen. Father God, I just pray right now, Lord, you just touch them. Touch them. Right now, Lord, touch them. In the name of Jesus, fill them with your Holy Spirit right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Fill them right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, God. I just pray blessings on them now, God, that right now your spirit would just so fill their lives that you transform them, God, that every broken thing is broken away. Every hurt, every wound, Lord, every, every mistake, God, it is in the past. It is under the blood. The devil has no voice against it now in the name of Jesus. We silence everything that has been raised up to accuse them, Lord. I ask you now that you raise up their purpose, Lord. Fill them with your spirit, God. Give them a revelation of not just who you are, but who they are as sons and daughters of the Most High God. They are forgiven. They are loved. They are transformed. And today, they are all brand new in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Let's celebrate. Amen. Amen, God.